All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana. And I'm Kristen. And we once again decided to go see a movie. So Kristen, why don't you tell the listeners what we saw today? We went to go see the movie The Fanatic, which was the new movie directed and written by Fred Durst from you guessed it, Limp Biscuit, and John Travolta starring as the lead, and Devin Sawa, you know, as well, at the Ocala Marion Theater, which was a second time going there. Again, we, we talked about this during the episode we did on Ready or Not. Like, I, this Marion Theater, it's been built in the 1940s. It's this classic movie theater here in downtown Ocala, Florida. And I have found just a new appreciation for this theater. Yeah, it was a great experience. So, this is a movie that. It has a limited theatrical release right now, and you and I have been discussing doing an episode on this film because just from the trailer alone, it looked like a really intriguing premise. The fact that it was, like I said, limited theatrical release, but showing here in town, it was like, well, let's not wait for video on demand. Let's go see this movie the weekend it comes out. And I'm really glad we did. I am too. I mean, absolutely. It was, it's perfect that it's showing right here in town. And why not? Let's go do an episode. You know, let's do a, a review and let's talk about this film. So I guess the first question I have, like I do every time we we were talk about a new movie is well you know what i'm going to do this a little bit differently what were your sort of preconceived notions about the film after seeing the trailer and then what did you what was your just overall impression of the film well so i didn't know a whole lot about this movie before going to see it and i did take the time to look up a little bit of information on it just by the sheer interest of it's directed by fred durst and that's the first time i've heard of a movie being directed by him i was really curious to know a little bit more about it before going to see it and my initial impression on the trailer was that it was going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say lighthearted, but this movie had quite a bit more darkness to it than I initially expected going into the film. My overall impression after having watched it is that I enjoyed it very much. And I think that the darkness that that film had and the way that it was shot, just the scenes in the movie, I mean, we'll get into all of it, but I think it was so well done to portray the message that that film was probably trying to portray. I wasn't quite expecting that prior to seeing it just based on the trailer. I don't think the trailer did the movie justice. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. And my interest in seeing the movie, it stems from, you know, longtime listeners of the show know that we're big John Travolta fans. And and I, I jump at every opportunity to see one of his movies when it's theatrically released. But this one had me really intrigued because talked about this on the show before, how John always, when he plays a character, when he takes on a role, he gives it 100%. And this this one seemed really intriguing. And Jim Hempel, who did the John Travolta retrospective with me, he was telling me at sort of the tail end of that episode that this movie, which at the time was called Moose, I mean, they changed the name to The Fanatic, but he was saying like in his circles in LA, like there was a lot of buzz about Travolta's performance. So I think the first thing we need to discuss, obviously, this is a John Travolta film. How did you think John Travolta did in this film? So I was really impressed with how committed he clearly was to this character and the evolution of someone that I can't say that I can think of a time he's played a character to this extreme level of, I guess, far removed from any other character I've ever seen him play in a movie. And the, you know, it's someone that the man Moose in the film clearly has some mental health challenges. Um, and I'm not sure that they don't get into what specifically it is. I know that I have heard that p- potentially on like the spectrum. I think that that's probably combined with a whole slew of other things. And, and you know, they don't get into what the issue is and they don't have to. Um, you can tell that this is a person that is now an adult that has grown up probably not in the best of ways. It doesn't seem like he's got a whole lot as far as 
his family, there's no family to be seen. He does have a, a best friend in the film, and he's got a very good connection with the people in his life that he does interact with when he goes into the, the memorabilia store, I guess. When he goes into the memorabilia shop and the connection he has with the owner of that, you can see that, you know, he's very likable in the beginning. And you feel this sense of just, you know, automatically I started feeling kind of sorry for him just to have like, you know, that's got to be difficult to try and be getting through in life and, and making his way. And, and I'm kind of feeling sorry or empathetic towards that. And then I start to feel really good, like good for, you know, good for him. This person has got these friends in the community and he's making his way and clearly has some obsessions, which is, I mean, we all, you know, everybody has their thing that they're into and his obsessions are horror movies. I love horror movies. And I thought that when I watched him in the apartment that he had and all the cool memorabilia and all the neat posters, man, there was just some great stuff put up in that apartment. It was excessive. Okay, like overboard. Like if I if it was if I had a first date with somebody and walked into an apartment like that, I would be turning around and walking out. <laughs> I guarantee you that. But the way that John Travolta put him himself into that character, he never ever broke character. This person was going through a lot emotionally and it was always portrayed extremely believable on screen. You and I were talking on the phone yesterday about Travolta movies and I was talking about how you know, he always disappears into the character that he's playing. And I said to you yesterday, this is before we saw The Fanatic today, I said to you yesterday that, uh, you know, one of my favorite performances that Travolta ever gave was in the movie Primary Colors, because you didn't, in my opinion, you didn't see John Travolta in Primary Colors. You saw the character that he was. Uh, that being said, this performance that he gives in The Fanatic is even more convincing than the performance he gives in Primary Colors. And I'm not telling you that it was an unconvincing performance. Like, I didn't see John Travolta on screen at all today. I saw this character of Moose. And I agree with what you said about feeling a little bit empathetic about him in the beginning and thinking that it's great that he has these these acquaintances and friends in his life that are constantly encouraging him and, yes. and you know, helping him out. You know, you mentioned the memorabilia guy. He, he desperately wants this vest, this piece of movie memorabilia. And he says he only has $300 and, and the guy wants 800 for him. He just gives him the vest and says, you know, you got to pay me back by the end of the year. They genuinely like this character. And so in the beginning of the film, it's really built up that, you know, we, we, we feel for him. We, we like we, him in we, the beginning. We empathize for him. Because there are other, you know, cheerleaders for him. There's other people surrounding him that do like him. And so when things do take a turn for the weird and things start to get a little bit where you want, you don't always like this character. So one of the things I want to say without, I mean, I'm not going to get into any spoilers on it yet, but I want to say that John Travolta, he did a great job of in this film showing me a character that I cared about and then I was, I didn't like somebody that I was not, I don't like this guy. And then I went back to caring about him. And then I went to not liking him again. And then I went to caring again. And to have that back and forth in a single character and for the viewer to feel that kind of almost like an emotional roller coaster I was on with the character was very, very well done. I think that that speaks volumes about his level of talent. And to be able to to have the viewer feel that way, it's just, it's not something that you get in a lot of films. Now, for those that haven't seen the trailer or just the basic synopsis, it's it's a rather simple, simple premise for the film. It, you know, Travolta plays the character of Moose. He is obsessed with collecting memorabilia, autographs, things like that. He's a genius when it comes to movies. He knows every nuance about every film he's ever seen. And he's, he probably lives vicariously through the movies. And there's 
there's a lot of, and we'll get into it in a little bit, there's a lot of references to a lot of different movies, which I think is fantastic. He is obsessed with one particular actor, played by Devin Sawa, who, it was funny because there was that moment when the theater, when I... You saw me just sort of react for a second because the light bulb had gone off. I'm like, oh, yes, that's the guy from Final Destination. And which, Idle Hands, and which idle I hands, used to yeah. love. And, and he's yeah, lots of, I mean, he was in Now and Then, which is, a, he was yeah. younger in that film. And can I just say, I think I even whispered to you, like, he looks great in this movie. He looks fabulous. Well, he's always looked great. Yeah, uh, but he, but like, he looks great. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's aged for like being, you know, 20 years removed from being a teenager. I don't think he was a teenager when he made Final Destination. I'm sure he's in his early 20s. But for somebody who's in his 40s, he, he looks good. He does. Like, and, and he's, yeah, so I just, so he, he's this actor actor who Moose is obsessed with and he's he's Moose is constantly trying to get into the same room as this guy. You know there's a there's a part in the film where he gets snuck into a, a you know a Hollywood elite party and he's looking for the actor his name is Hunter he's looking for Hunter and Hunter's not there and then back to the memorabilia shop where Hunter's doing an autograph signing a book signing he's, right he's doing a book signing and so we're kind of introduced to this actor but it, it's interesting because Hunter where we empathize with Moose Right out of the gate, like, we don't really empathize with Hunter. Like, you can tell, I mentioned to you when we left the theater, I said, you know, when he was doing that autograph signing in the memorabilia shop, like, he he seemed like he couldn't even be bothered to be there. Right. No, he didn't seem appreciative of the whole situation. And then he gets, of course, then he gets the, you know, whisper in the ear, someone's out back for you and an interaction with his ex-wife. And you can tell, I mean, he's he's trying to be really nice. And she calls him right out and says, you're a great actor, but you're full of shit. You know, I mean, just calls him right out. So I think in the beginning, you really get a sense that this guy's not a great guy. Okay. That is in general, he's just not a happy person. He's not a likable character at this point. Whereas you still kind of have that you like Moose and you don't like Hunter. And then that flips back and forth several times in the movie where you really now you does. like Hunter and you feel for him and you think Moose is a crazy. And it's just crazy how it's, it swaps like that. And this movie really is... It's a story of these two characters. I mean, it, it, for a film that takes place in Los Angeles, and by the way, can we just talk about the character of Los Angeles for a moment, the way Durst shot Los Angeles? Like, he did not make that city look like an appealing place to visit from the sort of the grittiness of the downtown Hollywood area, like the walk of fame. And it just felt for lack of a better term, it just felt a little icky. Like yeah. it just like the way, and I'm sure that's kind of the reality if you're walking in, you know, sort of the grittier parts of the downtown Hollywood area. So what I really enjoyed about the way that whole Los Angeles and the Walk of Fame was shot and the way that that encapsulated what was really going on within this movie was you're looking at a dark side of Hollywood and you're looking at a dark, dingy side of people in general and humanity. I mean, the things that that both of these characters do to themselves and each other is disturbing. And I like that the movie started off with a disturbing, you know, you've got the homeless person pulling the grocery cart down the Hollywood Walk of Fame with the, you know, boarded up doors. And that sets a tone that you're not in this glitzy glamour shot. You're in, like you said, the grittiness of it. I thought it was very well done. And we see that you know, because Moose has his own apartment. He has a little moped. And one of the things I thought was interesting was like when I'm watching the movie, I, I was asking myself, well, how does he even make any money? He's clearly ha- he has some issues that would probably prevent him from working probably a normal menial, you know, minimum wage job. And he has this job basically as one of these characters that you that like line the street up in, performers, the street performers right? that line up in front of the uh, panhandling the man's, man's Chinese theater and just take pictures with tourists. And, and he dresses up as a as a British 
police officer, a Bobby, yeah. and you know he's just out there. He's not even really good at that, you know. But he, but he, he does it. He grinds it out day after day. And that's when you're feeling for him and his heart, the work that he's putting in to try and do something that he he enjoys. And you know, I think that that might be why he emulates this character to such an extent. Is he's probably wanted to be an actor himself. And I would imagine that his lack of social interactions, his ability to interact with people has put an end to that. I mean, if you can't have a conversation with somebody, it's going to be very difficult to excel in a field where you want to be around people all the time, where you're entertaining people. It has to be very difficult to excel in that kind of field. So he's doing what he can to live his best life. And you feel for him in that time because he's practicing in the mirror and he's pumping himself up and he's trying so hard. And I just... I don't know about you, Dana, but whenever I see someone that's putting in an effort, I have a hard time not feeling, not, not rooting for them. If you're going to put the effort in, you know, you want to see somebody succeed. As the movie goes on, during the autograph signing that Hunter's doing, you know, he, when he goes out to talk to his ex-wife, Moose goes out there, has this confrontation. You know, there's that line, they say the line in the movie, you know, don't, never, you never want to meet your heroes, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll disappoint you. So he meets Hunter for the first time and he's so obsessed with meeting him and he has just this terrible experience and Hunter is just incredibly rude to him. Yeah. But not, but well, almost, but let's almost, be, un, almost understandably though. I think it's totally understandable. <laughs> I think that that's one of the moments when you start to think, gosh, you know, Moose is crossing the line. Yeah. He is being rude. It's inappropriate. Like, what are you thinking? You know, if that if you did that to a friend, it would be disrespectful. Yeah. But you're doing it now to a stranger, and it's very disrespectful. You le- you know you have to give people their space, and I think this whole film. I mean, like we talked about, you know, bef- we were just talking about this whole film is a really like the the personal space and the issues that people have with it. It's it's a big part of it. And what happens is that interaction, that initial interaction that Moose has with Hunter, sort of just sets off a a chain of events. Moose is uh he's pre he, he's he's determined to write a letter to him and he he through an app he finds out where hunter lives and he keeps showing up at his house and and we're not going to get into spoilers right now but he keeps having these these really bad interactions and like you said that's when we start to see the shift from empathizing with moose to starting to say all right he he's got some real issues and i'm starting to feel bad for hunter in this situation yeah so but the movie is really clever at at shifting your perspective back and forth back and forth like you nailed it when you said that and obviously you know, if you've seen the trailer, you know, this all sort of culminates in a sort of a grand finale. What did you think about just sort of the atmosphere that Fred Durst, as the director, sort of brought to the screen? Because you, you were mentioning to me afterwards that, like, you know, this is not a big budget film, but it looks really good. Like, he created the a, a great atmosphere for this movie. Like, I thought there was some very tense scenes in the film. I thought the music was very effective. I thought the editing was effective. Like, what were your thoughts? I think that it was very fluent in the way that it was shot and filmed from the beginning to the end. And I think, like you mentioned, it probably didn't have, I mean, it didn't have a whole lot of set changes, but you don't need that. And I think what I really touched on with this is like we mentioned already with the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame at the beginning. And then, of course, you have moose doing his job out there in the eat in the nighttime and then you've got the the bullies in the movie right so you have these characters that i would say would be probably one of the parts that was more uncomfortable to watch for me um just because you don't ever want to watch someone get picked on i mean that's not something you want to see but it's necessary in this movie because what those bullies do is they create a level of accelerating moose's mental 
capacity for what he's willing to deal with and finding where his breaking point is. And so when that starts to happen and you see it happen again and you see it happen again with the bullying So when he is out there on the street and he's getting bullied, you start to feel bad for him, but you also start to see him react. And the way that he reacts, it's scary. He gets violent. And you see that for the first time when he's interacting with one of these kids that are bullying him, trying to get him to uh, panhandle like steal. And I think it's great that on one hand, you have the character Moose saying, I don't steal from people. I'm a good person. I don't like that. And on the other hand, you see him react so violently. So it's clearly someone that has no boundaries for themselves, which is, it's scary. Because if you don't have any boundaries for yourself, you don't have any boundaries for other people. And I mean, Fred Durst directed those scenes with a purpose, I would imagine. And the purpose was to showcase that exact thing, is that boundary. And he has no boundary for himself. And you watch him get pushed and pushed to the limit. And then we get to see him break. We're going to get into some spoiler discussions real quick right now because we, we got to talk about a few crucial scenes in the movie. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to have this spoiled, just stop listening right now. Check out the film. It's in limited theatrical release right now. It'll be video on demand in one week. So we definitely, I think you're going to learn that we're we encouraging everyone to check this movie out. That being said, spoilers in three, two, one. So one of the more interesting scenes for me in this film was when Moose finally brings himself apparently has enough courage to actually go into Hunter's house. This is after he's had two run-ins with Hunter's maid. In the second run-in, he he ends up killing the maid. Right. I and mean, it's, it's an accident. He doesn't do it on purpose. We've seen this rage come out of him, but this was genuinely not rage. The maid is beating him with like a carpet, a carpet sticker. Yeah. And, you know, he, he punches her in the face, breaks her nose. She, she ends up breaking her, her neck on the she does. bath. And that scene was very, I mean, it made me jump back in my, in my seat because the way he hits her, it's extremely violent and it is rage and it is an overreaction and it is not some, we know, I think that's the moment you realize this is not a person of healthy, sound mental state in any way, shape or form. He's not just someone that has, you know, is on the spectrum. He's not just someone that has some issues in life with adjusting socially. This is a person that has an extreme dark side that we never fully saw before because once that happens, Dana, she falls down on the ground and you can clearly see that she is not alive. And he can too and all he can talk about is her having a nosebleed. Well, I, I don't think he genuinely even realized that she was dead. He just kept saying, uh-oh, she's got a nosebleed. Uh-oh, I had a nosebleed before. He's intelligent enough where I think at that moment, maybe he realized it, but he is able to push that so far back in his own mind because now all he is seeing is that he has free range of the house. And that's creepy. That's a moment when I don't like this character. And that whole sequence where he's in the house and he's going through all of his stuff, he's playing the piano, he, he's looking through all of stuff. He literally brushes his teeth with Hunter's toothbrush. Ugh. Like it's, it's every part of that. I was just cringing at the thought of someone invading personal space like that. It was so cringing and just like, ugh, it was just hard to watch. And when Hunter returns, Moose doesn't just quickly scurry out of the place. No, he hides in the closet. He literally waits for Hunter to fall asleep and then sits with him all night long. They, they're sitting in Lazy Boys next to each oh, yeah. other and they both fall asleep. What he's doing in this house, the way that he has crossed the line with these personal boundaries, the, I mean, 
there's no coming back for me. We've already seen him cross the line as far as his level of violence that he's capable of to some degree, not the fullest yet, but some. And now he's invading this man's personal space in a way that is so, it's just, it's so creepy. It's inappropriate. It's scary. This man has a son at home. Like, I don't like Moose at this point. I'm I'm feeling threatened by him. I know if I ever had something like that happen to me, I would be terrified. And then like you mentioned, Dana, he doesn't leave. And not only that, but Moose in his mind, doesn't know right from wrong at this situation. He doesn't think he's what he's doing is wrong. And I think that's even more sort of challenging because he doesn't know that the, that he's breaking the rules. Well, you know? and that's a nice way of putting it. But this is a man that clearly goes, it goes so dark so quick that I, I'm seeing it as maybe he has, you know, maybe he's on a, the spectrum and that's part of it. But also, Maybe this is a person that that has some tendencies towards violence, that has some tendencies towards like he's obsessed with horror movies. Maybe this is a like a person that is not just on a spectrum where they have some challenging things because those the people that have those things don't always end up this way. So this is an interesting, I guess, character study of a, of a person that maybe has more violence in them and more, you know, he could have grown up to be a serial killer type of a mindset, and they also happen to be on the spectrum. So I don't think that, for me, watching this character, I don't think that it's like watching a character that's on the spectrum. I think it's like watching what if there was a sociopath on the spectrum? What if there was a person that had these violent tendencies on the spectrum? So it's a really unique character study of something that we've never seen before in a movie. And how awesome is it that, I mean, I think he nailed it completely with that being said, this is a man that's scary. Yeah. And now we're scared of him. We don't want to gloss over the events that happened throughout the entire movie. We want people to see this film. Oh, it's excellent. But that being said, you know, we have to talk, before we wrap this up, we have to talk about the ending. We do. You know, so, and it's, it, again, this is where I want to talk about trailers. All right. Because in the trailer of the movie, you see Hunter tied up on the bed. Like you, the trailer gives this away that Moose reaches his breaking point. He has one more confrontation after he leaves Hunter's house. Hunter sees him again in the neighborhood, tells him that's it. You're a stalker. And, and that's the trigger. And that word. was the trigger. And he's, and, and Moose is really, he's, he's at his all time low at this point. His moped breaks down. He's basically ruined the relationship he has with his friend, who's the, the paparazzi girl. Yeah. And he is just at this point. It's interesting. We don't even really see the decision. We don't see him make the decision to go and do this to Hunter. We just, Hunter opens his eyes. He's got cloth stuffed in his mouth. He's securely tied to the bed. And Moose comes out and again, great little references to movies. There was a great oh, little was. Reservoir Dogs reference. Oh, which I love. Gas can. He's Mr. Blonde. Mr. I Blonde. love it. I like, What's in the bag? Like, Mr. Blonde. Mr. Like, Blonde. perfect. Like, that, that was great. He comes out dressed as Jason Voorhees. And yeah. Like, you uh, know what the funny part about that scene was when he's dressed as Jason and then he makes a joke about him being Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm like, that. are you kidding? I That's funny because that. obviously totally two different movies. You so know? <laughs> once again, we're, we're back empathizing with Hunter. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. He's, big time. He's not the greatest greatest guy in the world and he's he's kind of a prick to people but he doesn't deserve what he's going through no he clearly no he does not deserve and it. i'm telling you right now he knew how to get himself out of that situation because he is a very good actor yeah and he is able to convince moose through a lot of he's able to convince moose to eventually let him go yeah and it's it's by giving him what he wants by giving him what he wants and it was it was 
really, it was something else to well, see. Like, it had to be extremely challenging. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm watching this movie and I'm feeling for these characters. Like, this movie really does bring you into, maybe it's the back and forth of liking and disliking and liking and disliking that really makes you invested emotionally with these people. Yeah. So, at this point, I'm thinking about, my gosh, that's that has got to be so difficult for a person because we've already seen Hunter lash out. We've already seen Hunter express himself. He's a violent guy. He doesn't have a great control over his anger. He clearly has anger management issues. And this is a guy now that is being forced to negotiate with techni- I mean, with a hostage situation. But he figures it out. And he figures it out. And this is the part, and I give, again, I give Durst a lot of credit here because this was this could this could have gone in a different a lot of different directions and he he gets moose on ties hunter hunter's got a shotgun right above his bed and you almost feel like Hunter's justified in his actions of what he has to do to defend himself i mean the guy totally been, yeah i'm expecting him to shoot him dead right there but yeah. That's not what happens, Dana. And that's the part that makes you go back to realizing how disturbed Hunter is. And the thing is this, like, he, he, sh- he, he shoots Moose, doesn't kill him, but shoots him, shoots his, blows his hand off. And again, you feel completely justified for what Hunter's doing. He's just been tied up. He's probably would have been killed by Moose at this point. And you think that it's going to be a quick, okay, call the police, you've wounded him, but Hunter takes it to a, a completely another oh, yeah. level. It's not justified at that point. At that point, what he begins to do is torture. And you very quickly realize that this is a violent man as well. So you have two men that are violent and violent towards each other in different, very, very drastically different ways. And once again, our empathy switches back to Moose. Oh, well, for a m- yes, for, it does. For, it, it because, switches. gosh, it does. You're right. And that is a moment when it totally switches back. Because what he does, what Hunter turns around and does is it's diabolical. It's revenge. And it's unnecessary revenge. And it's dark. And you see that side, that violence come out. This is someone you could have just either shot him somewhere. I mean, shot him, called the police. But no, that's not what he does. And it's so disturbing. But he lets him go. Yeah, he lets him go. He lets him go. And again, we keep going back and forth. And I, this is this is not a knock on the movie. Like this is really clever choices. I that think it's making. very clever. And, and I, I've been I've been wondering why do you think they, that he let him go? And I have my idea. I'm curious, Dana. What is your idea? Why do you think he just let him walk out the door? I, I think he. I think he was smart enough to realize that he had crossed a line that there was no coming back from. You know, I think he realized that it's one thing to say that I've been abducted and I was defending myself. But you've like you said, he begins to torture Moose. You know, he blows his hands off. He starts shooting, gets his stabs him. It's violent. and the way that and Moose well is, shot. And the, the way that Moose is reacting to all of this, you know, you just hear him just cowering and crying. whimpering and crying. And he just lets him go. And then we get this. I mean, what is your theory so, on why he let him go? So I have a theory that is it's similar, but it's got a little bit of a different side. I think that what we see happen is he's out of bullets in the gun and now he has a knife. And of course, you know, he stabs him. To kill another human being with a knife, I would imagine, I can't even imagine, but it has to be a... It, I, you really kind of see Hunter all of a sudden realize that he's not a murderer. So is he totally deranged in, in a lot of ways? Is he an angry, crazy person? But he's not a murderer. And I think that he comes to that realization very quickly. And I think he knows that he can't stab him. And I can't begin to understand what must have been going through his head. But letting the guy leave, all I can think is this is a celebrity having the police at your home. And he, at this time, doesn't know about the maid in the yard. Right. So... 
keep that in mind. There's not, he doesn't know anything about that. He thinks that this guy could walk out the door and this is the end of it, right? That's what he thinks. So as he lets him leave, he sits down and you can see him just sink down to the ground. And I'm imagining what's going through his mind is, I can't, I, I can't even imagine what's going through yeah. his mind. But as, as you watch this movie, you feel this, this tumultuous stress and pressure and relief as well. He's got to just be relieved that it's over and it's done. And he knows this guy's it's never going to come he's, back. He, he, if he comes back this time. Like, he, he will kill him. This right. Time. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that he has fixed the situation and he didn't have to kill anybody. And he's probably just grateful that he got a couple of, it's just a flesh wound, you know? So yeah. that being said, things take a change from there. Of course, there. things. We, we see Moose in a great, great shots of blood on Ugh. the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And now you're feeling bad for and him again. Again, again even you're feeling though, bad for him. And people think that he's just one of his. People think he's just a character dressed up. Like they, you get these tourists coming up to him, going, "Oh, yeah. these the, the makeup effects you got. You look great. This is we're in Hollywood." And you know the paparazzi oh, they're girl taking finds pictures, him. They're yeah. taking pictures with him. And ultimately, you see the police show up at Hunter's place. You see the maid's body. The the gardener is pointing at Hunter, and you know he's arrested. No, ultimately, we don't know what the outcome is going to be in all these situations. But you know, famous celebrity gets arrested for murder. You know, so I mean, how do you? He's covered in blood and stab wounds. I mean, what defense does he have? Who's he going to call? The guy that he was that was stalking him. He doesn't have an. That's his only. Yeah, that would. I think it was such a well done ending because it leaves it wide open. Because you're right. The only person that could get Hunter off the hook is Moose. Yeah, and And who probably would? Is it? And the the irony. It it just it gives me the chills because it's not often that you actually see true irony portrayed, and that I think pretty much sums it up. So that being said, I I mean, with the end and the way that it all came together with him not having an alibi, your only alibi is bleeding down the street. And then at that point, you almost wish that he had killed Moose because I would have felt less bad for him. But then they end it really well by saying Moose, you know, the narrator, uh, the uh, his friend, she does a great job. I mean, she is uh, very likable. She's there for the whole thing for Moose and she's a good friend. And then at the end, she's a good friend again. And she closes it with that he enjoyed, you know, he made the most of it. He looked at it like a trophy. So Kristen, before we wrap things up, Honestly, you and I were talking about this film yesterday. We were really excited to see it. I think that you and I were going in with some interesting expectations because we looked at some of the review scores on this film and they weren't, for the most part, they weren't very positive. And you and I had a lengthy discussion before we started recording as to why we think that was the case. And we're not going to get into that right now. Uh, listeners, feel free to tweet at us, email us, and we'll give our, give you our thoughts on why we, we think that there was a, a systematic pattern of, of sort of not so positive reviews about this film. I went into this film without any preconceived expectations. I'm a big fan of John Travolta, as you know, I think the listeners know that. I thought the character he was portraying in this film, just from the trailers, I thought seemed very interesting. And I'm going to ask you first, and I'll give you my thoughts. After watching this movie, what do you think? So I really liked it. I mean, I want to go so far as to say that I loved it. It was one of those movies that after I left, I felt the aftershock of what I had just seen. And when I sat down to think about it, the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And man, I This is a very unique, original story told from a perspective that I don't think we've seen before in film. But you know what? I am of the mind that when I go to have an opinion on something, it will be my own. So I don't ever really think about reviews or I don't think about what critics say or people say about whatever, like show me the facts and I'll form my own opinion. And I've just always been that way. And my opinion of this movie is, I, I mean, it is absolutely excellent. And the content and the 
the message and the delivery of that is well done on every part. Absolutely. And I'm just going to second something I said earlier to, earlier in this episode, and that is that no matter what John does, he always gives it 110%. But sometimes I recognize John on screen. That was not the case in this movie. You know, just from his appearance, his mannerisms, this was Moose I saw on screen. This was not John Travolta. Yeah. And so I, I think that listeners, that if you're even on the fence about seeing this, like understand like Travolta, I think gives a really good performance in this he, film. He does. And you know what else is really interesting about that? Now that you mentioned it like that, like, so Devin Sawa, like I love him. And growing up, I've always loved him. And he's always played a likable guy. This is the first time that I have ever seen Devin Sawa play a character that is not likable, that is the the, the villain, for you the know, most, for, for the for most, most part. part yeah. I mean, you feel bad for him, but he, he starts out to be, he plays kind of a prick. Yeah. And I've never seen that before in him, in, an, in a role. No, and I agree with exactly what you said about what Devin said about. He is definitely, this is probably the most unlikable I've seen him in any role he's ever done. So that's our take on The Fanatic. I think we both unanimously are saying, listeners, you got to check this movie out. It absolutely, it's watchable, it's excellent, and go into it with a clear mind and let the movie do its thing. Perfect. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Kristen on Twitter at FlossHair. You can follow me on Twitter at Dana Buckler. You can follow the show on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show. You can follow us on Instagram at the Dana Buckler Show. You can email the show with questions or comments at the Dana Buckler Show at gmail.com. And of course, check out our website, www.thedanabucklershow.com. So Kristen, thank you as always. Thank you as always as well, Dana. It was a pleasure. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.